Hello and welcome to this edition of the Screen Podcast, which is the podcast for the global screen business publication, Screen International. I'm Matt Mueller, Screen's editor, and in this episode, we dive head on into the awards season race. Critics groups have started to weigh in. The US and UK academies are about to open up their preliminary voting rounds. The British Independent Film Awards took place last weekend, and the European Film Awards take place on December 10th. The dust, of course, is far from settling, but a little bit of clarity is starting to emerge through the haze. And joining me to offer their thoughts on the season at this earliest stage are my illustrious colleagues, Screen's Deputy Editor Louise Tutt and our Awards and Box Office Editor Charles Gant. Welcome, Charles and Louise. Let's start off by talking about the Biffas. So at last night's Biffas, which Charles, both of you and I attended, the host Benjamin Bailey Smith joked at the beginning, welcome to the Aftersun Awards. But in fact, it turned out he wasn't too far off in his assessment because Aftersun did go on to take a stream of prizes uh, and writer-director Charlotte Wells was getting quite a bit of exercise walking back and forth to the stage to pick up her trophies. I thought by the end, uh, when they announced to the winner of the best British independent film, she actually had run out of things to say. So she just passed over to her to her lead actors, Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio. But it was a great night for Aftersun, wasn't it? A very triumphant evening for them. And also Blue Jean did well as well. So what were, what were your take on the awards in general, uh, Charles, from last night? Yeah, I mean, I would agree Aftersun was the big winner. It, it, it was kind of almost like last year with After Love, which won multiple awards. And I also think Blue Jean is is really benefited from from those wins because after sun it's already in cinemas i think bafta voters really know about after sun and i think what these awards need to do is encourage people just to see films that's all that's really what campaigning is all about whether it's winning awards that lead up to the bigger awards whether it's getting people to attend screenings it's really just about getting the films in front of voters and those BAFTA voters, thousands of them that were paying attention, will now very much be aware that if they haven't seen it already, Aftersun and, and Blue Jean are films that they need to see. And how do you think the revised acting categories went down? They, they, were, uh, they were obviously changed this year. Perhaps you could just take us through how they were changed. But were gender-specific categories missed? Did Paul, Paul Mescal lose out by not being up for like lead actor for Aftersun? Yeah, I mean, that would be a question for, for, for Paul and his, his team. What I would say is that the direction of travel is, is clearly towards gender-neutral categories. And in several years' time, it wouldn't be at all surprising to see some of the, you know, the, the, our biggest film awards like the BAFTAs and the Oscars going in that direction. I think that Biffa you know, jumped into the unknown with their new gender-neutral categories. I think that they would be deemed a success. And they are for lead, so they've they've now got lead performance instead of best actor and best actress. They've also got supporting performance. They've got a, a new ensemble award. They've got the breakthrough performance, which always has been gender neutral. And they've also got this thing called joint lead performance, which is where, for example, Paul Mescal and Frankie Corio ended up for Aftersun. And I think that's the one category where the jury is a little bit out. And because if you are nominated in that, you can't be nominated in lead performance. And I think that if I was running the After Sun campaign, I would have preferred Paul Mescal to be in the lead performance because that positions him for the um, consideration in the BAFTA for actor. And being in joint performance and then losing it, yeah, it doesn't help him. 
Yeah, it felt, um, I agree, it felt a little bit uh, like they might need to rethink that because, because for instance, you know, you can be up for best ensemble performance as Blue Jean was, and yet several actors from Blue Jean were also uh, able to compete in those in those lead and supporting categories. And in fact, both, you know, Rosie McEwen from Blue Jean and Carrie Hayes from Blue Jean were, were the winners in those categories. So it feels a little bit unfair to, you know, single out the joint lead as not being able to there also enter in that in that lead category. Louise, what's your thought on um, having uh, gender ne gender neutral categories? Are you are you a fan? Are you are you are, do you do you also see this as the direction of travel? The jury's out on whether I'm a fan or not, but I agree with Charles that it's the direction of travel. I think I don't think they quite bedded in yet, um, and I think that. Oscar and BAFTA will be the last holdouts, I'm sure, and can, I guess, will be uh, a late holdout. But I do agree. I think it's the direction of travel for sure. And it, it feels to me slightly that by making them gender neutral, Biffa didn't want to lose uh, rewards for performance. And it was a case of, oh, we're, we're eliminating four categories. We've got to come up with four new categories so that we still have five acting prizes. And that seemed to be slightly the tail wagging the dog there. And maybe maybe they'll be happy with the way this has worked. They probably will keep it like this for another year and see how it goes. But they may end up tweaking um, how they define those categories in future. And I think the challenge with the Oscar and BAFTA have is that they're both big TV shows, of course, and um, which Biffa isn't. So Biffa can play to industry trends and tastes, whereas BAFTA and Oscar... And to a certain extent, Cannes as well, which, of course, is a huge event in France, have to think about audiences and who's going to be in the room and recognizing as many big stars as possible for that TV audience. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, as, as you both say, I mean, Oscar and BAFTA for sure will be the last holdouts if they ever make a change like, you know, like that. That's uh, it would be quite a big, significant change for them. So it feels like uh, After Sun was always going to register well with Biff of voters. It's been building ahead of steam since Cannes when it premiered in Critics Week, and then it went on to open the Edinburgh International Film Festival in August. So people have been aware of it. It's been building up momentum. A, a big night at the Biffers was not unexpected. Do you think, Charles, it has any impact on some of the more high-profile titles that were up for Best British Independent Film that might we might have uh you know, expected to see win. So, you know, the, the titles like Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, uh, Oliver Hermanis' Living, which of course premiered in Sundance and features an amazing performance from Bill Nighy, The Wonder, which is Sebastian Lelio's film starring Florence Pugh. Do any of those take a knock or, or as you say, is it just about getting, getting these films seen at this stage? Well, I think that last year, for example, the, you know, three of the big films from the movies were After Love, Ali and Ava and Boiling Point. Boiling Point wasn't particularly a big winner on the night, but it did go on to um, earn an outstanding British film BAFTA nomination and picked up some other nominations. So I don't think a lack of a win is necessarily a terrible thing, particularly for the more high profile films. I think Living has got a big campaign behind it. It's already done more than three million pounds at the UK box office. I think BAFTA voters are very aware of that film. Bill Nye is a beloved actor. Emma Thompson is a beloved actor in Good Luck to You, Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, and people are aware of that performance, aware of that film. It would have been, I'm sure, nice for her and Daryl McCormack to win Best Joint Lead. It would have been nice for Bill Nye to win 
best lead actor. But I, I don't think that the not getting this biffer push is really going to hamper their chances. A movie like Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which has been really successful at the box office, BAFTA voters are well aware of it. It was never going to be a big biffer film. So, Louise, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you do you think there are British films that have a lot of momentum behind them? I mean, Living does feel like one of those ones that still, as Charles says, it's doing well at the box office. It's got Sony Pictures Classics behind it in the States. It's, you know, it's got Lionsgate behind it here. It's, got, you know, it's it's been talked about basically since the start of the year. So do you feel the momentum momentum is still there for that title? For sure. I'd be very surprised if Living wasn't nominated in the best, in the outstanding British film category at the BAFTAs and Bill Nighy for Best Actor. I'm sure, I'm sure it will be the same with um, Here's to You, Leo Grande as well. I think they are... Um, I mean, BAFTA, you know, there's 8,000 BAFTA voters and awareness is high of both of those films. And BIFTA is a very select group and very particular group. And of course, the BIFTA has also awarded a prize to the Best International Independent Feature Film. Uh, they gave their prize to the worst person in the world, which, of course, will have no impact whatsoever because that film has already finished its awards trajectory, uh, nominated for Oscar and BAFTA, but winning neither. Um and up against four films last night that probably could have benefited if they had one, because all the other four are actually in the race this year. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is Laura Poitras' documentary, uh, winner of the Venice Golden Lion, uh, Everywhere, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is the uh, very um, uh, kind of buzzy independent title from the US that A24 has that uh, that is in the mix. Uh, and, and then two foreign language titles, which is Close by Lucas Daunt, uh, which is Belgium's submission to the International Feature Oscar race and Decision to Leave, which is the Park Chan-wook title, which is South Korea's entry. So Charles, I'm just curious how the worst person ended up in this category, if you might happen to know how, how Biffa selects this particular category. Yes, I mean, films can end up participating in the BIFAs ahead of release, and they can also end up participating after they've been released. And it's really down to the distributor. So the, the, the BAFTAs, the eligibility is very clear. You have to come out uh, before the ceremony uh, in UK cinemas, or if you're an international film, you have a grace period of a few weeks, you can come out afterwards. But it's very, very clear. BIFA has always had a slightly more nebulous qualification system, which is to do with festival play. So worst person in the world absolutely could have been, uh, could have participated last year because it had been in festivals in 2021, including in the UK, the BFI London Film Festival. But MUBI evidently did not submit it to participate last year and waited until after the release, which was in 2022, to submit it. So that's why that, that happened and does happen, that, that happens often that films will, you know, have a choice of whether they want to submit uh, before they're released or after they're released. But I do agree with you that it seems to me a, a big missed opportunity for one of those other titles. I mean, I, I was totally rooting for Close, which is my favourite film within the this year's um, International Feature Film Oscar and film not in the English language BAFTA. And I would have loved to have seen it walk away with a prize. I agree with you. That, that would have been my favorite film in that category as well. And looking at some of the other international feature film contenders, which are contending for uh, make, to make the Oscar shortlist this year, uh, 93 films, uh, countries submitted this year. 
which is pretty consistent, you know, ranks pretty, pretty much in line with recent years where it's been in the low 90s. Um, but there are some very clear front runners in this category, aren't there? I mean, close we've mentioned is one. Uh, other ones are Decision to Leave, which is the Park Chan-wook film. The uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is the German language uh, title that Netflix is uh, pushing. Um, and uh, are there other, what are the other ones that are jumping out to you, Charles and Louise, in terms of the leading contenders in this category? I think France is Saint-Omer. France missed the shortlist last year with Titane, didn't even make the final 15. I will be shocked if Saint-Omer does not make the 15, and I would... I would be not surprised to see it nominated. I think Austria has got a very strong contender with Corsage, starring Vicky. Is it Cripes or Creeps? I never know how to say that name. And I think Argentina have uh, have got a very strong contender with Argentina 1985, starring Ricardo Darin. So those would be some ones that, I mean, I would be amazed if they're not on the shortlist of 15. And I think some of those would, would be likely nominated. Yeah, I agree. My two favourite films of the year so far bar in any category are Corsage for sure Marie Kreutzer's film and um, Alcaraz Carla Simon's film from Spain that won Berlin I think they're both outstanding and head and shoulders above anything else that I've watched so far this year so I'd hope to see them I'd hope to see them on the best film list quite frankly but for sure on the international film list for both Oscar and BAFTA Yes, it's interesting, Louise, that you that you cite Alcaraz. I uh, I also really loved Corsage, and I could see that really working extremely well with with Academy voters. I I watched Alcaraz, and I also liked it a lot. But it was one where I felt it might, you know, I, I think it could it probably will make the fifteen strong shortlist. I wonder if it will get to nomination stage. I could be completely wrong, but it felt like a very quiet, smaller film that might not register as much as some of the you know, as, as well as some of the sort of bigger, I guess, more kind of narratively action-led um, uh, films that are that are that are in the mix. Um, so, uh, you know, it's obviously won the Golden Bear in Berlin. It's it's a fantastically made and beautiful film um, about a family of peach farmers who are on the verge of losing their farm. Um, are there any other titles that jump out to either of you in terms of what's in the mix? Well, well, there's a film that that is really. I don't think there's a huge amount of buzz on it, and I went to see it last week uh, because you know I had an evening free and it was showing. So I thought, well, I'll go and check out the film from Iceland. And it's called Beautiful Beings, and it's directed by Goodmunder and Anar Goodmanson, uh, who did a, his previous film with Heartstone. I thought it was fantastic. It was a film set in the 1990s about teenage boys. And the, the kind of context of it is this rise in, in teenage violence that was going on in Iceland at the time. Um, really brilliant performances. Great movie. I've heard really virtually nothing about it. So it'll be fascinating to see if a film like that, which I think is very good, you know, has a powerful enough US distribution to actually cut through and get in front of uh, the eyes of voters. Oh, the other one that I love that, of course, is a big front runner, lots of people love, is The Quiet Girl which is Ireland's submission to the Oscars. And I, again, I, I mean, it's good enough to be in every category. Uh, and um, Hit the Road from Iran, but I don't think it's Iran's entry, correct me if I'm wrong, but hopefully it'll have some traction with BAFTA. 
Yeah, that's right, Louise. It's um, it will be in the BAFTAs uh, by virtue of, of of being released into UK cinemas. But yes, it's not Iran's submission, so will not be eligible for the International Film Oscar. It would be eligible in other categories of Oscar, assuming it's it's been released in the US in time. And I think also falling into that category is another film I loved. I saw a while ago, Marina, which um, I'm going to say Croatia. Um, but again, I don't think it's the Croatian entry. Um, the director was at Cannes with her. It was her first film, I think, in 2021. But that's a brilliant film. And I urge everybody to watch that. And again, I hope it figures in the BAFTA nominations. And one interesting, well, in two interesting titles, really, that one which is up for uh, submission, Triangle of Sadness, which, of course, won't be... Um, vying in this category uh, the the kind of the the, the can palm door winner by the swedish director ruben osland which will potentially be competing in other categories um but also holy spider which interestingly is denmark's submission made by the danish-based iranian filmmaker ali abbasi um about a real life sort of serial killer case in iran uh was never going to be iran's entry if anyone has seen it they will understand very quickly why that would not be the case but it was a really excellent and outstanding film and i would be very interested to see if it does progress um beyond you know beyond to the certainly to the shortlist stage and then eventually to the nomination stage it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tough watch and i would say maybe a you know a kind of brutal serial killer thriller isn't necessarily the kind of film that's going to click well with oscar voters i'd correct me if you think i'm wrong but uh but i yeah it'd be interesting to see how that does also with bafta voters as well i think with current events happening in iran and given the theme of the film it, it might help that film resonate with voters and it, it even though it ha- it has a genre elements to it. It's also a very serious-minded film about how, um, yeah, a, a a man was able to abuse, you know, abuse, rape, and kill women uh, in Iran. So I I think that that might uh, be be able to transcend some of the genre all elements to land with voters. So we have some key dates coming up. Uh, so BAFTA Round One voting opens December 9th and closes on December thirtieth. As we mentioned earlier, the European Film Awards take place on Saturday, December 10th. Uh, And that's an interesting one because we have a much more current list of nominations for the European Film Awards this year. They they have sometimes struggled in the past to make the film, to make their awards relevant because of the period that they select their nominees from. And there was the case, I think a couple of years ago, where Quo Vadis Aida won the best film category about 18 months after it had first premiered at Venice, it felt very, although obviously an amazing film and one that deserved to be recognized, it felt a little bit like old news by the time they awarded it their prize because their awards happened at the end of the year. But I think what's good about this year's nominations are in certainly the best film category, the European film category, they've got four films from Cannes, uh, which we've all kind of touched on. So Close, Corsage, Holy Spider, and Triangle of Sadness. And they've also, the fifth nominee is, is Alcaraz, which of course is the, the Berlin Golden Bear winner. Right. So it feels much more relevant and much more current this year. And I know that's been a key uh, uh, 
factor driving some of the sort of changes that they're trying to bring into into the European Film Award. So it'd be very interested to see which of the films pick up prizes this weekend. I think the European Film lineup is fantastic this year. I mean, I think it'll be it's it's. I mean, I couldn't possibly begin to call which film might come out of that. I think any. I think maybe the awards will be quite spread out. You know, I can see for voters spreading the love maybe between all of those films the five films you mentioned and then there's also Mia Hansen's love film One Fine Morning and um yeah there are just so many fantastic films nominated for the yeah, that's, this year. That, yeah that's nominated in the European actress for Leia Seydoux um but you're absolutely right I mean it does and it just feels like a fresher and more relevant list than it has done in the past so so credit to credit to the Academy for any changes they brought in that had made that that a more uh more sort of relevant list. I guess one thing, if you're an After Sun fan, is it's maybe slightly disappointing to only see one nomination for that. But it is for Paul Mescal uh, as European actor. So <laughs> good luck to him. Um so other voting uh windows opening up soon are the Oscar preliminary voting round, which opens on December 12th, only for four days. Uh and on December 21st, the Oscar shortlists will be announced. Although, do we know which in which categories specifically, Charles? Do you have the, the list of categories that are announcing on December 21st? Yeah, sure. We have 10 categories uh, that have these shortlists. And the two big ones that we will all be paying a lot of attention to are the documentary feature category and the international feature category, which is, of course, their version of foreign language film. There were then there were the three shorts categories, which uh, for documentary short, animated short, and live and live action short, which I feel a lot of people pay full attention to when they actually get the nominations. That's probably as much um, bandwidth that people you know really have uh, with respect to to all of those shorts jostling for attention. And then there were five uh, craft categories as well that that go through this shortlist process. And they are for hair and makeup, original score, original song, sound and visual effects. So for all of those chapters that vote in those categories and determine those nominations, obviously those are like really key for them and they'll be they will have been voting. Uh, to determine those shortlists, and and they will be voting to narrow them down to the nominations. On uh, on December twelfth, we also get the Golden Globe nominations. Have we missed those? Do we care? Do they, do we think that's going to be a factor this year? Having the Golden Globes back, they are back. They're getting a broadcast this year, so they were obviously banished last year uh, for the issues they had with the organization, which they have attempted to address. But have they done enough to to be back on our good graces and be be a factor in this year's race? I think we should care. I'm looking forward to the Golden Globes. Um, I think that they are good for cinema going. They are a big TV event. I imagine there'll still be a big TV event this year. Everybody wants to see celebs um, in their nice dresses and suits and sitting on tables. And I think they're a great advert for film. And I think anything that helps drive cinema going and encourages people, you know, puts it in front of people that these films are out there and that they're fun and go and watch them, I think is good. I don't think we should cast, I don't think we should cast stones on the HFPA. The film industry in general should not cast stones. I think all conversations about diversity, inclusion and representation are very necessary. And I think every organization should be having them. And I don't think the HFPA, um, should be singled out anymore, shall we say. 
Well, I'm really interested to see the nominations because they've ex you know, significantly expanded their voter pool from the original cohort, which are the foreign language press in Hollywood, who are mainly people who do celebrity interviews. And they are now including the members of Popreski, who are film critics, in international film critics, who attend film festivals and who have a potentially have a completely different taste from the original voters. So what would be fascinating is if we, we actually see some foreign language films, you know, really flourishing uh, in the acting categories and you know, the categories that traditionally have not been particularly and have, have traditionally been very dominated by, you know, big, big Hollywood celebrities. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what the impact is. And if it's, you know, I'd be thrilled to see a much more exciting set of nominations emerge in the Golden Globes. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how many voters have voted for the HFPA this year, because normally it's only about 90, am I correct? And so it could be, you know, which is obviously a tiny amount of people. So like, of all the Fipreski critics invited to vote, I wonder how many took them up on it, and I wonder how many, yeah, in total, and how much impact it will have. Well, the, the Fipreski critics that I know seem to be enjoying the attention of, of being included and, and suddenly being invited to all of the screenings. And so I, I would have thought that they would have taken uh, taken them up on the offer. But I guess we will, well, once we see the nominations, we'll have a clearer idea. Do we know if the Fipreski voters are invited for this year only, or is this an extended invitation to take part in the Golden Globes voting? I do happen to know that, um, as I did see the invitation not sent to myself, I hasten to add, um, that the HFPA sent to Fipreski, and then Fipreski sent out to its members saying that it invites our members to vote for the Golden Glows as guests for one term without becoming an HFPA member. Um, the background is the idea and wish of the HFPA to diversify the voters on an international le level in the sense of a richness of culture. So it's, and that's a one-off thus far. And I suppose if they have a fantastic reaction to this year's nominations, potentially it might be something they extend, but they're probably yet yeah, trying it for a year and see, see what happens. And yeah, of course, and if they get, and if they get the celebrities back to the, to the, uh, to the show, that's obviously going to be their key, their key driver. And there still was, there still is, was controversy attached because uh, the member that sent that to me turned them down. Um, well, we've had uh, some other recent critics groups awards. The New York Film Critics Circle, one of the oldest and most prestigious of the U.S. critics group, chose Tar as its best film. Uh, the Kate Blanchett film directed by Todd Field, which premiered in Venice. They went for Colin Farrell for best actor for a joint uh, two two different performances, one after Yang and the other one with the Banshees of Inishrin, and they chose Kate Blanchett as best actress for Tar. I would probably not put too much weight on their choice of actors because the last time their best actor selection won an Oscar was in 2012 when when Daniel Day Lewis won for Lincoln, and the last time they got the actress aligned with the Oscar win was uh, Blue Jasmine, which Kate Blanchett also won in 2013. Um, but they've gone for some really interesting other picks as well. Best director was S.S. Rajamouli for his film, his Indian blockbuster RRR. Uh, EO was their foreign language choice, which we actually didn't mention in our earliest conversation, but that's the Jersey Skolomowski film, which also premiered in Cannes, which is about the uh, life and times of a donkey from his uh, very happy life in a circus to his very sad <laughs> demise. Um, all the Spoiler alert. 
spoiler alert sorry for those who who uh who don't know that or haven't seen it um all the beauty and the bloodshed won their best doc prize and our old favorite after sun again won best debut film which uh perhaps is not surprising with a24's backing in the us and also barry jenkins and adele romanski as producers on that film that it's gonna be noticed a lot by by us voters as well so it's an interesting list of of uh nominees isn't it or or, or sort of uh winners um and then also the gothams although not as prestigious also went for some really interesting choices they chose everything everywhere all at once as their best film and they went for kei hu kwan who stars in the film in their supporting actor category also they have gender neutral categories and danielle deadweiler for till is their lead performance choice so a lot of really interesting titles are are bubbling up aren't they charles and louise in terms of maybe not not necessarily the what you know the front runner mainstream front runners that you would you might consider there's some really interesting titles percolating in the mix this year well i think that tar is a fantastic film and i would love to see it um i would love to see it succeed in multiple categories and not just in actress i think it's very very strong but it may see it may seem to academy voters that it feels quite rarefied it's it's a, a potentially quite unlikable protagonist which doesn't always hold sway with BAFTA, with BAFTA and Oscar voters so it'll be interesting to see just how wide that film can, can go when you go out to a much wider pool of voters and yeah everything everywhere all at once I mean because I think that um uh Kei Hu Kwan also won supporting actor at the um New York Critics as well didn't he isn't he isn't that um two wins for him so I think that really really helps push push a bit of momentum for his campaign obviously it's always very competitive as for Colin Farrell I think that Ban you know for Banshees of Inisherin he's he's clearly uh, one of the front runners there the after Yang in, after Yang inclusion uh, you know I don't think that's necessarily particularly helpful particularly at the BAFTAs because you can't be the same actor now cannot be nominated twice in the same category so even if he picked up votes in after Yang unless he gets more votes for that than he does for Banshees of Inisherin, then he's not going to be nominated um uh, at particularly well at, at, certainly at, at the BAFTAs but um it will it will it will encourage more people to watch after Yang and you know may, maybe it'll it'll pick up some traction it's such an exciting year when there are lots of different contenders and there's not just one or two films forging to the forefront. I mean, it makes it such, it's, you know, this is meant to be fun. I know it's deadly serious business, of course, but it's also, it's also makes for a much more interesting, lively um, conversation and season when there's all these different films. And I think bringing it full circle, Banshees of Inner Sheeran is probably the big competitor. Now, I don't like to use the word competitor, but you know what I mean? The big sort of one of the favourites in the outstanding British category at the BAFTAs with After Sun. It's a and fantastic Ban film. Yeah, and Banshees of Inner I think also is is one of the leading contenders, certainly for best picture at this stage. I think it's, it's you know, we haven't mentioned Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. That's the one that came out of Toronto with, with the most yeah. headwind behind it, thanks to winning the audience prize. And, and, and that's... Uh, obviously starting to register with voters now who are getting to go to screenings in the UK. And it's on the, it, I don't know if I think it's on the BAFTA portal yet, but uh, certainly there are a lot of screenings taking place. Um, but yeah, I agree, Louise. It's, it's fun. You know, this is, this is a kind of more interesting and fun race with films like RRR and everything everywhere all at once 
uh, in the race. And uh, talking about fun, I mean, talk about the, the opening sequence of After Yang, that Dan sequence has got to be the one of the best scenes this year. So even though the film itself is a little bit sad and depressing, the sort of, if you want to put yourself in a good mood, just watch the opening dance sequence of After Yang. And then you can watch the closing sequence of White Noise uh, in the supermarket, which is another dance sequence. Um, but you, you do have to wade through quite a lot of white noise to get there, of course. That's the Noah Baumbach film. With surely, surely best dance sequence needs to be, be a new category that we need to get into one of these one of these award ceremonies. Uh, Absolutely, and I think R, but R, R, R would probably win that with uh, without a doubt. Yes, with that with that dance sequence. One for the Screen Awards next year. <laughs> Consider that a lock. Well, thank you both. That's that's a good place to wrap. Uh, good to have your thoughts um, on on the race so far. We'll be revisiting uh, the many different categories in the next few weeks. But for now, we'll say goodbye. Thank you. Bye. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Screen Podcast. Thank you to my colleagues, Louise and Charles, for joining me today. And thank you very much for tuning in. The Screen Podcast is available to subscribe to wherever you listen. Please do rate and review us along the way. And keep up with the latest news from the international screen industries at ScreenDaily.com. And follow us on Twitter at ScreenDaily. Hope you enjoyed the episode. See you next time. This episode was produced by Danielle Koch.